Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, it's Friday and it's time for another episode of Football Social Daily, the only Premier League podcast with new shows every single day of the season. So hit that subscribe button and that way you won't ever miss one. Project Big Picture has been at the forefront of conversation in the Premier League this week, including on the podcast. But the latest news is that the EFL have rejected a £50 million bailout. Have they seen through these covert plans put together by the Premier League Big Six? Gary Neville has also been banging the drum. He's calling for an independent regulator of the game and he blames the riches of the Premier League and the credibility of the FA for the reason that the game is in such a mess. We'll also be going through the latest fantasy Premier League tips with Matt Dyson from the Game Week podcast and Chelsea are our club in floodlight focus today and we speak to Mikey from At The Bridge. My name's Niall, alongside me on the podcast today, it's a hello to Marley Anderson. Hi mate. Hello mate, how are we doing? You alright? Yeah, very, very well. We've also got Steve McNaughton. Happy Friday to you, Steve. Good morning, gents. How are we? I'm very well. I'm very well. Actually, it's interesting that we've got you on the podcast, Steve, because we haven't spoken to you since this whole idea of Project Big Picture was leaked to the press. And that's where we're going to start. Even though we've spoken about it a few times this week on the podcast, it does seem to be top of the agenda in terms of Premier League news. In fact, the latest developments are that the EFL, the 72 clubs that sit below the Premier League, have rejected a £50 million bailout. Now, that was originally for the third and fourth tier, League One and Two, but they've said that that simply doesn't come close enough to the money that they need due to lost revenue through the fact that fans have not been allowed to enter stadiums and pay for match tickets and spend money on beers and burgers during the COVID-19 pandemic. So, just from a Liverpool fan's perspective, it was Liverpool and Manchester United who kind of spearheaded this project big picture thing, Steve. We haven't actually heard the perspective of you or many other Liverpool fans on this on the podcast. So I just thought before we go any further, your takeaways from the whole sort of debacle which has unfolded this week. I think it, it took me by surprise is, is the first thing I'll say because it, it literally come out of the blue. And usually I 
you know, I'd heard a little whisper about these things, you know, but I, I hadn't heard a thing until it, I seen it on Sky Sports News. And um, some of the stuff in the plan, uh, I thought, yeah, I, I get it. Um, other stuff, no. I think the big issue is is the control, and and the the casting votes that that would be uh, conducted by people that were el- clubs out that were eligible to do it. That was the the big red flag for me. Um, you know, there was some covert things in there that didn't really, mm. um, well, it didn't leave a good taste, did it? You know, certainly for 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 championship and league one and two clubs, and I think that. Yes, we probably do need some kind of reform. Have we gone about it the right way? I don't think we have. I think it should have been a more, a more open forum as opposed to Man United and Liverpool, all the full Man United whoever instigated it all, um, doing it on the on on the QT. You know, um, I think it should have been uh, much more transparent and at the forefront of of meetings mm. that that took place. Some of the stuff I liked in it, I've got to be honest. I, I liked the, the Carabao Cup being sca- scrapped. Uh, I like the Charity Shield being scrapped um, because I think from a fixture point of view, we have we have problems in this country with that, um, certainly around internationals mm. as well. Um, I mean, then I, then I thought, retrospectively, I thought with the Carabao Cup or the League Cup, whoever is ever sponsoring at the time, that is an opportunity for, for clubs to win some silverware. So I think maybe, you know, there'd be a tier of teams that don't go in it each season um, and give people the chance to, you know, win some silverware and maybe get a European place. I don't know. But it's, um, yeah, I just think that the whole thing has got a bit messy. Um, I think, you know, when I heard about the, the, the bailout being rejected, I was like, ugh. You know, and, and some of the language that was being used by uh, Richard Masters of the Premier League. Um, I mean, you know, we come out and said we mm. don't have beef with the EFL. I thought, Christ, we're stood on some street corner here. Uh, you know, talking. He's just said <laughs> we we don't have beef. It's like, come on. You know what I mean? It, the whole thing is. is Where's he learned that word? Has has his, has his kids been giving him some street street talk? Or something must like that? have been. Must have been. He must have been on TikTok <laughs> or something or on on Instagram. <laughs> but it's just. There's got to be a better way, and I think that when you start off on a footing where things are done in secret and behind closed doors, to get everyone on the same page as yeah, when they've not been involved from the off is, is very very difficult. And I think that you know Gary Neville is obviously um, leading um, the charge for reform, and he and he's put a manifesto out there for change in football. And again, some of the points raised that are particularly good, but. I just think from a Liverpool mm. point of view, it's something that um, was the merit to look at it and, and maybe suggest some ideas. Yes, should they have done it behind closed doors and in secret and then sprung it on everyone and then the two clubs you know, obviously threatened in March to form a breakaway league and stuff like that? Absolutely not. I think there's a better way of doing it and we have not gone about it the right way. Mm. Well, we'll come on to what Gary Neville has to say in a second. And also, you mentioned that a possible big six breakaway was on the cards. We'll talk about that too shortly. But firstly, that rejection of the £50 million bailout for the 72 football league clubs that sit below the Premier League, Marley. Uh, Andy Holt, who's the chairman of Accrington Stanley, who play in League One, he said that he's read the full report or, or the full proposals and he was sick to the pit of his stomach. So I think it goes to show that there is a level of contempt of this plan, project big picture in the EFL. However, we have seen some clubs come out and say that they're in favour of it. In the end, it's been decided that they will reject a £50 million bailout. They say it isn't enough and it does, for me, feel like a little bit the Premier League are offering 
a little help in exchange for a lot in return. They want basically complete control of the game at the top, the big six that is, in exchange for a little bit of support at the bottom. And it feels like football league clubs aren't prepared to buy into that. Just on this, is is this £50 million um, bailout, is this part of Project Big Picture or is this separate? Well, it was, an, it was initially supposed to be uh, more part of Project Big Picture, but it look, feels like this has been, this has been decided anyway separately. Um, but they've rejected the £50 million. So if you think about it, 72 Football League clubs, £50 million each, that's, that, that £50 million to go across them, that's less than a million pounds six hundred and ninety four grand each. I mean is that is that enough? I don't think it is, considering we've not had fans in stadiums for for what now, seven, eight months. I mean a full season would last ten months, so we're really closing in on that time frame of a full season. So regardless of where it comes from, they've rejected this idea, even though they're desperate for cash at this moment in time, they've decided to, in my opinion, see the greater good and, and kind of turn it down. Yeah. See, I'm 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 a bit sort of confused by this because if it's if it's a bailout and there isn't any strings attached, as in it isn't part of this greater um, plan of of um, project big picture. Well, some of it will be advanced, and some of it's an interest-free loan. See, that's where I've got and a basically, problem. It was it was supposed to be more. It, effectively, what it was apparently supposed to be seventy-five million pounds, but the twenty-five million pounds was already forwarded in advance to the EFL. Um, at the start of Project Restart, when there were complaints about about it back then, they basically gave them an advance of the money that they were already due to have. So actually, if you break it down, it's 50 million, and a lot of it is in interest-free loans. So they're going to have to pay the money back anyway. So it's not really a bailout. It's not even a grant. It's half grants and half interest-free loans. I think are they not better off accepting it though, and just carrying on running? If it's if the situation is that bad, then. If somebody's trying to give you money and you're saying, no, no, we want more, are you really in a position to to negotiate? Because if you are, then the position, then the whole thing can't be that bad, can it? Like, I, do you know what I mean? Like, if you desperately need money and somebody's giving you money, are you in a position to reject it? Because... Well, if, if, if someone offered you a fiver for your car, would you accept it? If I, because that's, this if is I needed what it is. to sell my car to feed my family, then yeah, of course I would. But a fiver won't feed your family, barely buys you a loaf of bread, which is the kind of point that I think the EFL clubs are making it. 50 million sounds like a lot of money because it is to the common person. But in the context of what football has got at the top, you're seeing players being sold for, you know, millions and millions of pounds. And, you know, like Steve puts out 695 grand each or whatever it is, it just doesn't feel like uh, a, an adequate amount of money. It's almost like... You well, know, it's a month's wage. It's, it's like it's like when you tip. It's like when you tip um, a, a, a waiter at a restaurant and you tip him twenty p or something. It's almost not worth doing, if you know what I mean. It's almost insulting to to kind of you know give that much money away. So I, I don't know. I, I've I can see both viewpoints here, um, but it, it just feels like that you know it's kind of a an almost pathetic gesture of goodwill to dig themselves out of the hole that they've made for themselves. Mm. I just think like. 700 grand or 600 and whatever grand it was it was is that going to go a long way to preserving the life of a league two club like league league two isn't exactly you know dripping with money it's not that much to run the club in terms of comparing it to a championship club for example and one of these uh these 
criticisms of this is that it that it um, it doesn't account for championship clubs, and I can understand that completely because championship clubs are multi multi million pounds uh, a year to as running costs, and then obviously you take out the the fans um, income coming into it, yeah, you're banging trouble with them. But with League Two, the running costs are much smaller, so you know, is there not something you can you can do to help them? with this figure and then you know where do you say you know we're going to help everyone because at the end of the day the Premier League isn't responsible for what happens in the EFL the EFL are their own organisation so is it not for them to to help out their clubs what what's it got to do with the Premier League I don't want to be sort of cutting off because I know every football club needs help but you know everybody's losing money so is there not something you can say where you help out the the teams that desperately need it? You know, Berry have gone bust in the last year because of bad owners and the EFL sat on their asses and did nothing about that and let people through the gates and just to bleed the club dry. Macclesfield are in trouble. Bolton have been in trouble. So the EFL, what the hell do they do at the minute? Like they're not, they haven't got the money to to bail out their own people. That all of a sudden, mm. it's almost like they've got the cap in hand going to the Premier League saying, oh, please, can I have a crumb of money? It's, I don't know, it yeah. just, it, that isn't leadership for me. That is not a government, an, a governing body that does its job because I know you can't predict for the, for a, a virus wiping out, you know, masses of the population and also having a knock-on effect on your economy. However, you have to be prepared for the worst and it, it's just business, so... To then go to the Premier League like, oh, well, you've got all the money. It's very sort of like, they, the Premier League could turn around and say, well, sorry, lad, this is your problem because you've had years and years of the same opportunities as we have as to, to bring in the amount of sponsorship you need and business partners and, and bring in money that way and have success on the pitch. Everyone's had that same thing at, at, at some level. Um, but you can't. You know, you, you, when it all goes wrong, you're all turning to the Premier League and saying, "Go, please, can you bail us out?" It's, at the end of the day, they're under no um, obligation to do that. It's just, it seems a bit f- funny to me to say, "No, well, we need, we need way more than that." When you've got an initial offer under no obligation, it seems strange to then say, "Yeah, we need way more than that," because at the end of the day, these problems are, are, are self-made. Well, yeah, I totally agree with the fact that the EFL is poorly managed and poorly run. And that's something I've said for years and I will continue to do so. I think that there needs to be an independent regulator of the game, particularly when it comes to owners and directors, which is exactly what Gary Neville has been saying, Steve. He's been calling for an independent regulator of the game. He actually, interestingly, blames the riches of the Premier League as part of the the disparity between the Premier League and the Championship and more so the Championship and League One. The gulf between the second and third tier is absolutely monstrous. He says that that's part of the reason that the pyramid is in uh, in a mess. And he also blames the FA for having no credibility as the governing body of the game. He says he doesn't trust football to govern itself and make the fairest deals for everyone. I can totally see where Gary Neville's coming from. I completely back the idea of an independent regulator of the game. So uh, would you get on board with that as well? Do you think that that would kind of put everyone in a better place? Because still, even if the money's more evenly distributed, the bigger clubs will still get the, the lion's share of the revenue. That won't change. Yeah, I, th- I think the thing is with Gary Neville, when he talks about this stuff, he's gen- he generally hits the nail on the head for me. And I think we, we do need a new independent regulatory regulatory body 
to look at it. The FA for decades have been absolutely useless. Uh, whatever they are, that they need to handle, whether it's whether it's uh, ra- racism in the game, whether it's financial impropriety, or whether it's financial uh, survival, whether it's um, disciplinary matters, they get it wrong most of the time. And UEFA are absolutely the same as well. UEFA are a mess of an organisation and not fit for purpose. And I just think that you know someone coming in and having a look at it with fresh eyes and putting measures in place, because you're absolutely right, the gulf between the Championship and League One is cavernous. It is absolutely huge. And there's big problems for, for I think, the EFL clubs, because we've obviously had a COVID-19 um, situation, which has been really unfortunate and, and been super detrimental to operations and, and survival and stuff like that. The EFL is so reliant on the gambling industry as well because if you look at the amount of shirt sponsorship deals that are with gambling companies, that is a potential... If there's any change in legislation where they can't do that, that is going to also affect a load of of EFL clubs. And there's got to be a plan for when that nuclear bomb drops as well. And I just think that having a full review of it, you know, drawing a line in the sand and coming up with a new... Um, you know, sol- you know, soluble plan that can support these clubs and get them through the the worst of times. I think that, that I mean, Marley reeled off a, a handful of clubs there that have gone to the wall or have been very, very close and called administrators yeah. in and stuff like that. And mm. the problem we've got with that um, is that if we if we focused on them, you might get another club saying, "Oh, we might go to the wall here unless we get half a million quid next week." You know what I mean? And it's just it's very, very difficult, and I think that you know money does need to be distributed properly, and they've got to be protected. And we've also got to protect the grassroots of the game as well. And I think Gary Neville's probably got his eye on that too, you know, with what he's talking about. And I like a lot of it. I like the you know liaison with the supporters' organisations. Um, you know, I, I think that is absolutely key. It works really well at, at the club that I support. And, um, you know, I like the fact that, you know, there's a new licensing system, you know, being mentioned. I think, you know, f- you know removing the causes of financial stress. Um, I mean, parachute payments going is an interesting one because, you know, my first reaction to parachute payments is that they're a bad thing because people go out and they splash a load of cash like Fulham did and Villa did. And um, it doesn't really work out. They, go, they drop back down two or three years later. If they've not come back up, it causes real problems. So I like what he's saying. Um, I just don't know how it gathers more momentum. I don't know what the first steps are with it, you know, to making that happen. Um, because there's got to be a lot of control handed over there by people in power. And people that do have power don't really like to give it up. Well, no, it's interesting you mention that because there have been threats of a breakaway. The big six Premier League sides, supposedly, I don't know whether this was just a little bit of a, a storm in a teacup or even media spin, I dare say. But there were rumours that if Project Big Picture wasn't backed, that the big six clubs might break away Marley and, and form their own sort of mini league. Now, I saw a lot of interesting comments on this from different supporters who said, oh, it'll be a good thing. I only want to see Man United play Liverpool and Tottenham and Arsenal and Chelsea. I'm not interested in seeing Burnley versus Brighton every week. But the point is, I think, the fact that Burnley could go to Old Trafford and win, the fact that Brighton could go to the Emirates and turn over Arsenal, that's what makes the Premier League 
the exciting competition that it is. Look at Aston Villa beating Liverpool 7-2 the other day. And I think that if you do have a big six breakaway mini league, surely if Manchester United play Liverpool three or four times a season, it, it gets a bit boring. Um, I think when you talk about this and you say, you know, there's different opinions, I think people who watch a lot of football on TV and play a lot of uh, video games, and that's their, in, that's their sort of um, exposure to football, I think they're the ones who are like, oh, it'd be great to see Real Madrid play Juventus every week because, you know, in a league system it could be great. If you've been, if you grew up around football, going to matches, um, especially in, well, in anywhere in in England, in Germany, in Brazil, in America, well, maybe not America, but one of these these places, you you know that, like, football is about. It's not just about watching the best teams. It's about having a, a competitive league, and that's why the Premier League has been so good over the years. Um, Leicester winning the league, you know, um, Bolton with Sam Allardyce signing everyone on a free like Yuri Jokayev and Ivan Campo back in the day, and <laughs> qualifying for Europe through through, you know, an average age of about forty eight in that in that team with Kevin Davis spearheading the the, the side up front. <laughs> like if you take out the big six. You kill the Premier League completely because it doesn't um, it doesn't leave anything for sponsorship. It takes away the um, the competitiveness of the, of the league um, because no one will want to tune in to watch when the best team in the league, Leicester, for example, or, or Everton. Then, with with all respect to them clubs, they're not going to be the the um, the money spinners that Liverpool and Man United and Man City and Arsenal and those kind of teams are because those teams will still exist. They'll just be in another league, so the, the sponsors will just be queuing up to give them the money in this European Super League, which is to, even even to talk about a European Super League in the you know right in the the eye of the storm that is a global epidemic is a joke because mm. like we don't even know how much money's going to be left uh, for football so you you know you need a lot of money to to set this up and what have you and even if even on the travel if this started tomorrow you could you couldn't start it tomorrow could you because of the the travel the traveling around the world which is stupid at the minute spreading it everywhere so to even to even <laughs> talk about this is is stupid but um, I don't think it's it's good for the game, and as well, I mean, you mentioned like, you know, Burnley and Brighton, for example, as as, as the sort of lower teams in the Premier League. If a European Super League happened, you know, you would still get the same teams finishing bottom of that every year, and eventually, some sort of order would settle. Um, and let's say Man United were involved in it, and let's say there's a twelve-team league, and they finish tenth or eleventh every season. Just for example, you would then say you would then get you know viewers of that league saying, "Well, Man United aren't good enough to be in this." So, you know, Man United have got no chance in beating Barcelona, even though they're playing them for the third time this season because Barcelona have won the the previous two games three 0 and four one or something like that. So, all of a sudden, whoever finishes bottom of that that group would then get the sort of disrespect that you mentioned Burnley and Brighton are because they would be the worst in that league, and you know. The example was Burton, uh, Burnley and Brighton being the worst in this league or, or worst in the Premier League. That would still happen with the European Super League. Mm. It would just be a big, a much bigger club in terms of, um, you know, standing in the game kind of thing. So someone always has to finish bottom of a league. That's the that's the point of a league. Mm. So eventually, you're gonna find that order, and that's gonna follow you everywhere unless you have cup competitions everywhere. 
What do you think, Steve? Because if I use kind of my experience as a Pompey fan, we played our rivals, Southampton, for the first time, first time in seven years, I think it was. And the, the kind of the atmosphere reached fever pitch because it had been such a long time since we had played our rivals. And that's what makes the games exciting between us, Portsmouth and Southampton, because we don't ever play each other that often. That game for me, Derby Day, is what you get excited for, is what you get up for. But if you're playing the same teams over and over and over again... I mean, surely the, the excitement quickly turns to, to boredom. You, you're watching the same thing over and over. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's that's the downside of it all, isn't it? And, and unfortunately, I think it's in the post. I think that the, the Europa, sorry, uh, European Super League will mm. will eventually happen. I just think it's inevitable it's going to happen because we're in a situation where money dictates what happens in the game. And if there's enough money thrown at it, you know the clubs are going to do it. I mean, you know, I I written a little list before, and I could think of twenty six teams that would probably jump at being in a, a European Super League, and it's sad really because it would be detrimental to to you know the game in this country. And you know, like Marley just said, the Premier League becomes on a level with the Championship for me then. And um, the games that you mentioned, those kind of blood and guts, you know, derbies and special occasions that that you know get communities re, re, re you know getting to fever pitch levels i think it'd be really kind of disappointing to lose that and i think um i think we're just in, we're, we're heading for that unfortunately i think you know that that is that is some of the that, that will happen and i think that's mm. a major conundrum for the powers that be that is how do you keep things interesting and how do you keep things relevant because if if we ever get to a point where the European Super League launches, that must be millions of listeners a week lost for you know the leagues in this country, and it, it's devastating. And I think you know it's we're heading for all this. I mean, even without COVID nineteen, this this was coming, and, and yeah. it's probably being discussed at length by a lot of these powerhouses. Because let's be quite frank, one of the issues that Man City had is that. They're not European elite. They're a big club. They've got lots of money. They've got deep pockets. Um, you know, very ambitious owners and and you know Pep Guardiola in charge. But they're not part of that elite, are they? In Europe, um, you know, they, they've not won you know the Champions League or Euro- European Cup uh, or UEFA Cup or Europa League. And these old boys like your Bayern Munich, this world Juventus, is they don't mm. want the likes of Man City coming to the table and. It's just, it's a mess. You know, the whole, you know, we've talked about um, the ideas for the English game and and we're talking about European Super League and whatever way you look at it, football is is in a dire mess and Mm. it's the fans that ultimately suffer um, because we're missing out on these experiences of me going to Anfield or Marley St. James's Park or or Utrecht Park and... It's. I just can't see the light at the end of the tunnel with it at the minute. Um, you know, it's just. It's very, very, very frustrating and and it's worrying because I think there's plenty of people and clubs that have very different agendas from other clubs and the mm. poles apart at the minute. And to get everyone on the same page, same hymn sheet, get the finances right, get the deals in place, protect clubs that are vulnerable which you know we know there's probably 72 clubs that are vulnerable uh, yeah. because of because of the, because of the gulf in, in finances and and all the sponsorship and trimmings that come with it 
and I, I just get a bit frustrated with it. I mean, it's something I bring up quite a lot when I'm talking to mates and stuff like that. You know, the, the money has has t- is taken the soul out of football, and it is really, really sad. Yeah, I'm totally in agreement. I think that you know we were kind of tottering towards the cliff edge anyway with finances in football, and COVID nineteen has just accelerated that. To be honest, I just personally feel that you know it it's taken such kind of dire circumstances for people to sit up and take notice it's taken clubs to go bust like Berry and Bolton being saved at the last minute and now Macclesfield being rescued Leeds United Wigan exactly Leeds United one of the institutions of English football they were in financial um, struggles as well not 10 years ago Portsmouth my club were the first Premier League side to go into administration how is that ever allowed to happen with the riches we see in the top flight um, uh, you know, it's a shame Wimbledon, for instance, even before that in the uh, in the 90s were allowed to go bust completely. And now MK Dons is a thing, which it shouldn't be. But, you know, th- there are so many examples of this and it's just it's almost oh, it's fine because it's not us. And then all of a sudden, when it does start to affect you, that's when people start sitting up and taking notice. Anyway, just a final one, Marley, it, on this Obviously, the season, we don't know how it's going to pan out. We don't know when fans are going to be allowed back into stadiums. It looks like the UK, at least the north of the UK, is on the verge of another lockdown, which would be absolutely devastating for those clubs who are desperate to get fans back into grounds. Steve says he can't see a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I know it's a Friday, so we try and keep it upbeat. But, I mean, would you sort of, would you go along with that? I mean, I'm kind of on side with that. I'm finding it really difficult to see how we get to the end of this season without something imploding, let alone, you know, the bigger picture is, is the term that's being used at the moment. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, you know, you want to keep it upbeat, but <laughs> you can't. I don't know if you can with it when it comes <laughs> to this, because the more in-depth you think about it, the more unsustainable this whole situation is for uh, the long term, especially, you know, League Two clubs are hanging on by a thread pretty much at the minute. It's almost to a point where non-league clubs are actually in a better position than League Two clubs because they can allow some kind of fans in. Um, at the minute, I think you know the, you're allowed a couple of hundred fans um, at a non-league game, but because as soon as you're in the football league, you can't do it because that's the government rules, and it, it only seems to be getting worse, especially up north when you know the politicians want to lock off the north and, and suffocate them financially, um, like they are doing at the minute. It's it's one of them things where you have to you have to look at it and say I do think it is going to get worse um because this this stuff isn't over yet um the the pandemic's still ongoing um it doesn't show any any signs of stopping for the next few months certainly post uh, pre christmas so yeah more teams are going to are going to struggle i think um i i still think we'll probably have uh uh, a, a break in the in the game completely again, same as last season. I think I think we'll have um, a situation where players are testing positive and the season has to be uh, sorry games have to be postponed because there's been an outbreak at a club and then you track that club and they've obviously had more than one game in the last fourteen days and then obviously that club they played is going to be affected and it knocks on and all of a sudden it wipes out the entire league. So I think. There's probably going to be a break. Um, I can even see the Champions League getting scrapped. I'm, I'm actually, I'd actually be in favour of scrapping the Champions League now before it starts, um, just because of the fact that nobody's got this, this um, 
this thing under control in in Europe. I mean, some cl- mm. some countries are doing it better, but uh, better than others. For example, Germany are doing really well. So if Dortmund are playing Man United and Manchester's the, you know, one of the highest um, cities in Europe, does it make any sense to have loads of um, players and and people come to Germany for for thirty six hours or whatever it is? It's, it seems silly. So just have a break it, for a season. You mean just kind yeah. of hiatus for a bit. Yeah, because the issue we had last season with the Champions League and and the Premier League was that it's already started, so you have to finish it. You have to finish the Champions League, and you, they ended up doing the, you know, the quick turnaround, um, almost like a bubble effect, and get everything played um, as quickly as possible. This year it hasn't started, so could mm-hmm. you keep something? Could you keep everyone's uh, participation for next year and just postpone it? Uh, I don't know. I think it it makes some more sense. It's better than starting something and then pausing it and then saying, "Right, lads, sorry, um, you know, yeah. we're we're gonna stop it halfway through because everyone can see the situation coming, but everybody wants the quick uh, the quick money, the quick sponsorship and TV rights. So they probably mm-hmm. won't do that, and we'll probably end up in a situation where it gets a bit worse. But you know, those decisions are made by the by the powers that be and. Whether that's a good thing or not is another thing, but happy Friday, everyone. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Honestly, it's been a fascinating chat about Project Big Picture, the EFL rejecting the 50 million bailout, and of course, Gary Neville calling for an independent regulator of the game. I'm sure it won't be the last time that it crops up on Football Social Daily, but it is time for a quick break. And afterwards, we'll be talking FPL. We will be going more upbeat because fantasy football is back this weekend. And Matt Dyson from the Game Week podcast will join us to answer your questions and the latest tips and tricks. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We're going to talk FPL. We've had a two-week break. The international fixtures have been on, but nobody really cares about those. It's back to Premier League action this weekend. I was just wondering, Matt, if you've had any withdrawal symptoms from FPL over the last two weeks? No, I find it nice to have a break. We didn't really have a long summer off football and fantasy football because of the lockdown and then a short summer break. So it's nice to have some time away from it. You know, spend time with your family. Stop obsessing over football stats. But, you know, I mean, the internet national friendlies and the nations league you know however they want to jazz up the uh, national friendlies in in europe it doesn't interest me there's no points for assists and no points for clean sheets who cares you're quite right matt's from the game week podcast so i would argue is well poised to give you some tips for this weekend's fixtures i feel like a complete fraud doing this chat every couple of weeks matt because i'm still stone dead bottom of the league not oh really able to pick up any points oh. i thought do you know what i thought that i was having a good week until manchester united and liverpool went and got absolutely smashed by yeah. tottenham and aston villa respectively mad, we even saw some minus points in the premier league the last game week do you think we'll be seeing a, a few more of those throughout the course of the season because uh, the results have been wacky so far yeah there's some freak results on that sunday wasn't there the 6-1 and the 7-2 i mean i can't, I can't imagine that carrying on surely <laughs> I, 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 you know that, that they were some mad games I backed a few horses in a few of them. Not enough for my liking, but I'm having an all right start. A lot of people use the international break as an excuse to drop the wild card. You know, so just use it straight at the end of the last game week. And then you've got two weeks to just basically mess around and chop and change and do different drafts of your team and avoid any big price rises. But I've stayed strong. I'm going to stick with it for a bit longer and save that one up. 
Yeah, definitely. Well, I tell you what, that leads us on nicely to our first question, because although you say that you want to kind of stick to your guns right now and keep with the players that have been performing so well over the last few weeks, I mean, the question here from Paul is that now the transfer window is almost done, which of the new boys are worth getting? Now, there's been obviously a fair amount of transfers, 1.2 billion quid spent in the transfer mm. market this, this time around, which, of course, is a completely different question in itself. But of the crop of new players that have landed in the Premier League, are there any ones that are taking your fancy? Well, I mean, Edison Cavani's interesting, isn't he? I mean, he potentially could be amazing, but he is, uh, what, 33 now, uh, mm. but had a, had a pretty good record at Paris Saint-Germain in terms of goals. I mean, yeah. what? Uh, 200 appearances, 138 goals is a decent return. I think he's their uh, second he... highest ever scorer as well, Matt. Yeah, so yeah, so if he can do anything like that at Manchester United, then that would he would be an amazing signing. Uh, but but he, I think well, he's not going to start straight away, is he? He's got some sort of issue within because he wasn't in a bubble, so yeah. he's going to have to wait. He's in for quarantine, a bit so he won't play against yeah. Newcastle. So there's a good tip: don't put Cavani in your team just yet. Yeah, that's certainly a good tip. Yeah, if you haven't heard that news, definitely don't go for Cavani straight away. But uh, eight million is what he's uh, valued at on the game, and that's potentially potentially a bargain. But Man United look a bit out of sorts, so I think they need someone to mm. turn their season around. Is there anything to be read into the fact that he hasn't played a game since March? He hasn't trained in a team environment since well, June. Is there anything that you can kind of look into that and think, well, maybe I mean, I'll hold off Cavani yeah. for a little bit? I mean, he's, he's going to be rusty. There's no two ways about it. He obviously, you know, he's probably been keeping fit, but does it match the uh, the real fitness when training with a proper squad? Will he adapt to the Premier League straight away? I'm not going to go out and buy him straight away um, because after Newcastle away, they've got Chelsea at home, Arsenal at home. Not easy games for him to start in. And with Manchester United looking dodgy at the back as well, I don't really, I'm not in a rush to bring in any Manchester United players at this stage, to be honest. Well, even another new boy, Alex Tellez, a left back, signed from Portugal. He's only got Luke Shaw and Brandon Williams to compete with. So you think he'd yes. probably come straight in. And his yeah. connection with Bruno Fernandes was kind of the reason why he got brought to the club. Or at least that's uh, yes. what some people are saying. So, I mean, maybe there could be a little diamond in the rough there in, uh, they're in Tellez. They're old mates. Yeah, so presumably he's going to weigh in with quite a few assists. 5.5 million for Tellez. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, he could be, he could be uh, a very good signing for 5.5 million if he weighs in with assists certainly it looks like Shaw is uh, probably not going to get in that first team uh, very often anymore after that horrendous foul that he did where he should have been sent off I think it's like I think you could see in Ollie's face he thought this is it that's the end of you <laughs> Luke Shaw you're done we're done with you get me a new left back straight away uh, but yeah he certainly wants to I'm sticking him on my watch list I hope you you uh, Niall use your watch list on the on the transfer function on the Fantasy Premier League when you get a player that you want to keep an eye on I Simply don't I thought that was on your watch list. to online shopping no, add to your watch list and then you can, when you want to make transfers, go to look at your watch list and say, right, who who I've been keeping an eye on has been performing best, search by form, and then you get a really good, easy way of filtering the wheat from the chaff. Oh, there we go. And I've got a lot of chaff so far in my, in my <laughs> season today. So that is a really good tip that I didn't know about. I suppose that is kind of a little trick of the trade there where, you know, if you do kind of get want to get one up over your mates, it's kind of have a little bit of a deeper browse, a more thorough look at the website because I'm sure there's yeah, lots of things to I help mean, you out. 
And that's when you get you spot the odd differential, like a cheaper midfielder that's weighing in with points that you're not really expecting and no one else has got. Because it, when everyone's got that template team, and like everyone's got Bruno Fernandes, everyone's got Aubameyang, although Aubameyang's not doing that well so far this season. But when it comes to that point where all those top players are in the same teams, and you need, you need some differentials. And that's when I like to look at my watch list. Would Rian Brewster be on your watch list? Because he well, could make his Sheffield United debut this weekend against Fulham. That's what Charlie's question is. He says, could Brewster, because he's playing against Fulham, be a decent option at a lower price point? Fulham certainly seem like the whipping boys at the moment. It's like if, uh, although they didn't do that badly last time out, but it's like if you're, if always look at who Fulham are playing uh, before making any changes. Actually, no, they did. They got battered last time out. I think they had one decent result recently, I seem to recall, where they only lost 1 0. Uh, but uh, Villa gave them a pummeling. It seems like whoever Fulham are playing backed them by three players for whoever Fulham are playing. Yeah, it was Wolves that they uh, only lost 1 0 to. Uh, but they've not had a great start defensively they look shaky what a great team for Brewster to start up against but then I suppose he is still a sort of unknown quantity certainly on fantasy football I mean he's not he never really got a look in in that Liverpool first team he was loaned out to Swansea last season and did quite well in the championship um, 20 appearances, 10 goals, uh, you know, but he's, I, I thought he was younger than he is. He's actually 20 now. So he really does need a, a break and he needs in, in a, a break in a, a fairly big Premier League team. I mean, Sheffield United, not the biggest, but they've had a decent season last season. They spent a bit of money. Mm-hmm. And so I'm certainly keeping my eye on him. If I had a free transfer, I'd be very tempted to bring him in for the Fulham game. It could be a great way for him to, to make his mark in the Premier League with a big start. I mean, I've actually had a, uh, speaking of Sheffield United players, I've had uh, Oliver Burke since the start of the season because he was a midfielder uh, but had been playing up front. I presume those days are over now, though, because he was like a 4.5 million midfielder. And he's done nothing, to be fair. So I think he's <laughs> well, he's on his way out of my team regardless. Sheffield United have done nothing. They've been really poor. So, I mean, yeah. against Fulham, that might be the kind of the tinder they need to kickstart their season. Actually... Whether Brewster gets into anyone's side, even on the bench, is an interesting point. And that leads me on to Josh's question, who says, is it worth having 15 players who are near enough guaranteed to play every week with the likelihood of COVID suspensions and self-isolation? Now, we've seen loads of people test positive for COVID over the international break, but they've had to pull out of their international squads. And it looks like that could have a knock-on effect to the Premier League. It's not going to be the last time we see that throughout the course of the season. We are going to see players miss games due to self-isolation and whatnot. So... It's a really interesting point that Josh makes as to whether it is worth picking all 15 of your players that you know are going to get some game time just in case you've got that automatic substitution where you can get some extra points at the end of the game week. Yeah, certainly. If if I was playing my wild card now, because it's a good time to play it in that respect as well, because um, teams are starting to settle now. So you know which cheap defenders are going to get ninety minutes at the moment. You know, so there are there are players around the four point five million range that you could put on your bench, and if they if if they come on as a sub because of uh, someone being injured, then you know they might get you the odd bit of point action. But I mean, there are some. Some decent lower price ones that seem to be getting 90 minutes. Concert at Villa could be a decent option. His price is rising, but he's currently 4.6. Uh, Masuaku at West Ham, who seem to be suddenly defensively brilliant. Uh, I don't know how long that's going to last. Justin, uh, the James Justin at Leicester, although um, uh, Ricardo will be coming back fairly soon from his injury. So I like, and, and like Walker Peters for 4.5 million at Southampton. There are decent options of players that are cheap, but you know, are sort of settled in the first team 
And uh, yeah, I think you could fill up your team with them rather than just four million never going to play on the bench. It's a good idea, certainly with COVID, because they're dropping like flies. Even Cristiano Ronaldo has got it. I mean, there's, you know, it doesn't discriminate this virus. Does it? <laughs> the superhuman footballer still can yeah. catch a deadly disease. So yeah, mm. certainly um, who has been deadly in front of goal has been Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Now you talk about kind of oh. people picking good picks at the start of the season and getting their benefits from that. A lot of people that have picked DCL have been absolutely delighted with how he and Everton have done, especially if you've got the deadly duo of James Rodriguez and Calvert-Lewin in your team. You're really laughing at this moment in time. You really are. Here's a question from me. Dominic Calvert-Lewin's in good form, but they've got Liverpool this weekend in the Merseyside derby. And although Everton's form is absolutely brilliant at the moment, they're top of the Premier League table. They've not beaten Liverpool in 10 Mm. years since 2010. (laughs) So even though he's in such good form... Would it be smart to maybe switch him out for a week and leave him on the bench, perhaps just in case something happens against Liverpool? I think it's a brave person that puts the form striker of the season on the bench. I just think at the moment he looks like he can score with one touch against anyone. Mm. He scores for England. He's scoring hat-tricks left, right and centre. I just think when a player's in red-hot form like that, you've got to play him. It doesn't matter who he's playing. And let's face it, Liverpool, they just uh, shipped seven goals last time out. I mean, it's not like their defence. And, <laughs> and, and look, while Alisson is out injured, Adrian in goal, you know, he, he was he did a few decent saves, but he was certainly at fault for at least one of their goals, the Villa goals, and there was quite a few deflections, and they were quite unlucky in that respect. But, but with Adrian in goal, that Liverpool defence is shaky, and I I would not not rule out Calvert Lewin scoring against them in this one. And if they they look like this is their best chance ever to beat Liverpool in the Merseyside derby. Annoyingly, I haven't had Calvert Lewin since the start of the season, and I'm just I'm stuck in this place now. Where if as soon as I sign him, I know he'll stop scoring goals so I'm uh, I'm sort of holding off until when Ings delivers two blanks in a row that's when I'm getting in for Calvert-Lewin have you still got Kane yes I have still got Kane um I hope he uh yeah he seems to be okay he's got a little niggling injury by the sounds of it but I'm sticking with him he's just he's now suddenly become an assist machine and is providing just (laughs) amazing assists he looks like he's becoming a really rounded striker now who's not just got goals to offer and yeah yeah, I mean he's I'm I'm not going to be getting rid of him and I've also got Callum Wilson up front for Newcastle who seems to be weighing in with goals like he did when he was at Bournemouth so I'm I wish I had the foresight to have had Calvert-Lewin from the start of the season. I haven't. Don't want to just jump on the bandwagon too much. So you've got to have yeah. some some degree of... Be a bit careful before just going on, lumping on the big form players that everyone's backing at the moment, you know. Mm. That's, well, the, that's, that's what I think anyway. There's well, my two pence. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that old saying that form is temporary, class is permanent, yes. which kind of proves yeah. why I'm still bottom of the table, <laughs> if anything else. Matt, it's been great to chat to you, mate. And everyone go and check out the Game Week podcast um, for even more tips and tidbits as well to do with the FPL. Um, Matt and Dan do the podcast every week. Uh, you can go and find them on Twitter at Game Week HQ as well. And we'll catch up again next week, mate. Thanks, Niall. Good luck. I hope you get some points. Me too. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social.
Welcome back to Football Social Daily, the only Premier League podcast with a brand new show every single day of the football season. And every single weekday on the podcast, we put a Premier League club under floodlight focus. That's where the spotlight swivels to your Premier League team and we put them under the microscope by someone who knows them really, really well. Today, it's the turn of Chelsea and joining Jim to talk all about the Blues, it's Mikey from At The Bridge. Cheers, Niall. It is Chelsea that's under the floodlight focus today. And to do that, I'm chatting to Mikey from the At The Bridge Chelsea podcast. How are you doing, Mikey? I'm um, Thank you. Now, I've been chirping away for a few months now about how I think Chelsea could well be the team to break Liverpool and City's hold over the Premier League. Are you sharing my optimism at the moment? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, on paper, what a <laughs> squad. I mean, simple as that. We don't look too Back. I mean, the back's a bit of a problem, but realistically, we have an incredible squad on paper. Maybe yeah, you could argue that it's the third best squad on paper in the league. But obviously, Liverpool and Man City, they, they've won the last three titles between them. And that's for a good reason. I mean, they're absolutely got some world-class players in their squad and they've been together longer. We obviously have bought all our players quite the good top quality ones, so to speak, like your ZX, your Verners. You've got Chilwell now on the left-back role and obviously all our youth players. Absolutely incredible squad. Obviously, it takes time to gel. We know that Liverpool and City, they've had that time to gel. They're, they're, they're properly in their sort of their dynasty phase. I mean, Liverpool might become that dynasty depending on how it goes forward. So far this season, it's looking a little bit dodgy if they are going to do it but you know you expect them to bounce back after a few dodgy games but yeah for ourselves on paper it looks good hopefully when it all clicks and it will click it's going to be a special side to watch you sound like you're pretty happy with the business the club has done in the transfer window but there were some areas that you missed out on the bringing in of Declan Rice which looked like it was going to go ahead at some point never really came to fruition I don't think Chelsea even put an offer in in the end and also a centre-back was on the shopping list that never happened. Is it hard to get too disappointed in terms of what was missed because of what came in? Yeah, I mean, when you spend over, I think it was 240-ish million pounds, you're the highest spenders in the... Obviously, we've, we've proven before that it's not how much you pay. It's the quality of the player. I mean, you think back to the infamous transfer window where we brought in Bakayoko, Drinkwater mm. and Morata. That cost over three figures and none of them players are even going to be on the bench for this Chelsea side and obviously one's been moved on the other two are likely to go be on loans and all that sort of thing but you know we brought in a defender in Thiago Silva yeah he's he's obviously he's not a fresh face he's obviously been around the game but that experience is so crucial when you've got the likes of Christensen you know Tomori Zuma we've got the players there that can become the next sort of top level of centre-backs. It, it's this, They are still young, raw players. Obviously, the left-back situation, that's been solved with Chilwell. He, he's obviously only been fit enough for one game so far and he's already proven how, how he fits into the squad, amazingly so. But obviously, it was always the goalkeeper. That was our big issue. And, you know, we're going to miss him for the game against Saints, but Eduard Mendy, he looks already a top, top acquisition especially compared to, unfortunately, how Kepa's just, it's just, it's just not worked for him. And, you know, it's not nice to see anyone, you know, on a human level struggle in their chosen career, but it's just not worked for Kepa at Chelsea. I can't see it working for him. So overall, though, I'm very happy with our transfer business. 
It's interesting when you were listing your centre-backs, you didn't list Antonio Rudiger at any point. And he's been talking to The Athletic this week, saying that he does have a future at the club, that he had the option to move away and didn't want to. In terms of how Chelsea fans think of him, because I always look at him as, I'm not obviously not a Chelsea fan, I, I look at him, I look at the Chelsea lineup. I think he's one of the stronger centre-backs, yet he seems almost like cast aside by the Chelsea fans. They've got no faith in him. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame. I mean, he's made a few high-profile errors. People always remember your most recent game as a player. And last season, he was a bit... He wasn't great. He wasn't awful, but he wasn't the type of calibre centre-back you want in a side that's challenging for silverware. And unfortunately, you know, he's had over 100 appearances for Chelsea, so clearly he's been trusted by former management. There was talk of him going to various clubs. I thought he would leave. Fully expected him to leave, not to Spurs, because obviously our rivalry with mm. Spurs. I expect him to go to like Barcelona or PSG. Obviously, there's current, you know, reasons why he hasn't. But his attitude has been fantastic. He hasn't sulked. He he wants to prove himself and get back in that starting lineup. And in a season where anyone could be almost ruled out for be it a positive test, or if they've got to isolate due to the current situation with the pandemic, he may find himself in that front line and having to mm. start and with the attitude he's showing at the moment you know it wouldn't be a bad asset to have he has the talent it's just about can he get himself back into that form behind the reason that we signed him in the first place how much pressure does all this money that's been spent put on frank lampard then because i often think that last season was a bit of a free hit we've talked about that on the podcast before because he couldn't bring players in and he got an amazing result, probably out of probably overperformed in terms of the squad. This season, he needs to prove himself as a manager. So if it doesn't go quite right, obviously he's got a lot of credit with the Chelsea fans being a club legend. But how much credit does it have with the board if it doesn't quite go to plan? Yeah, that you spot on, absolutely spot on. Last season was the free hit because of the fact of the transfer ban, self-imposed. We deserved it, you know. No, I don't think many fans would say we didn't, but. He brought through those youth academy players who did him really well. You had Mason Mount, you had Piqueo Tamori, Tammy Abraham, Reese James, Hudson Adoy. They they really did take the league and the team by storm. It was great to see, especially in a season where we'd lost Hazard, arguably our, one of our greatest players in our most mm. recent history. This season, you, you've, you've been given that investment. You've been given all that money. At the end of the day, Lampard's going to have more leeway because he is obviously a club legend. And that will always, that will buy you time. Of course it will. And Roman Abramovich will, he, he understands that connection between club legends and fans. Now, obviously at the moment, it hasn't started as quick as I think many fans would like, but of course it takes time to gel as a team. But when you've spent that money, you've put that investment in. If he feels that that investment isn't paying off, he will find another manager that, can get the best mm. out of that talent that he's purchased. Simple as that. We're, we're infamous for hiring and firing managers. He's going to have more time because of that club legend status, because of that understanding with the fans. But then you also could think it's a unique circumstance at the moment. There's no fans in grounds. So there's not going to be kickback in the, the stadium. You're not going to have that, we want Frank Lampard to stay sort of thing. Obviously, you know, no one's Lampard out. I'm not Lampard out. It'd be great to see it all work together as a lovely, just a fantastic package. But, you know, you look across to Manchester, doesn't always work mm. out that way. Doesn't Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. It worked for a few games and now it's sort of, are the wheels coming off? 
those question marks get raised. Is he out of his depth, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, at the end of the day, when you've got the likes of Pochettino, Massimiliano Allegri available, you, you always have to be wary. It's a results business and short memories in football. It doesn't matter what you did as a player. It's what you're doing as a manager. But fingers crossed, we, we've seen some connection in recent games. And obviously, we haven't had a fully fit squad. Ziyech hasn't been able to play since the pre-season friendly we had. Uh, Pulisic hasn't been able to properly play, obviously, due to injury in the cup final. So once we get a fully fit squad, that's when to judge the team, I feel. Mm. Well, next big test or medium-sized test, at least, is this weekend, Southampton. I suppose it's the kind of game that that you want after the international break, isn't it? It should be three points, no disrespect to Southampton. But that said, you've got Kepa returning to the team in place of Mendy and he's liable to throw a ball into his own net at some point. So how are you feeling ahead of the weekend? Are you confident? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty confident. You look at, let's not pretend that the results, Southampton, they've obviously, they beat West Brom. They've beaten Burnley. They obviously lost to Spurs, Brentford in the League Cup pass. It's been an indifferent start, you could say, for them. And they're always a threat. They've got Danny Ings. He's, he's, he's an absolute top top class marksman at the moment. But it's a team you, you, you have to expect to beat them at the end of the day. You know, we're going for top four, potentially the title depending on how you know realistically with Liverpool and City but that's the problem we've got Chilwell he's going to be back which is good to hear uh, ZX seems to be back whether he'll start most likely off the bench Pulisic back again the team's starting to come together and then you hear of another injury and this time it's our goalkeeper which arguably you probably don't want Mendy after his reasonably decent debut mm-hmm. to be the one who's injured you hope Kepper, if he does step in, if it's Caballero, you hope Kepper proves a point and goes, this is my jersey. I'm going to prove it. You know, I'm Spain's number one for a reason. But you always don't feel, I don't feel confident when I see that name on the clean sheet. If it was Mendy in goal this weekend, I would be saying three points confidently. With Kepper in goal, i say three points, but with a, a tease of wariness and caution. Well, good luck for the weekend. You need to start proving my point about Chelsea being title contenders right pretty soon if it's going to actually come true. But Mikey, thank you very much for coming on Football Social Daily. If there's Chelsea fans who want to hear more from At The Bridge, where can they find you? They can find us on at At The Bridge Pod on uh, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, We post daily, we post news, questions. We're we're quite a community-based podcast because that's what it's all about. You know, social media can be quite a a toxic place, as we all know. And it's nice to have that positivity and that community uh, sort of vibe. That's why we started the podcast at the end of the day. We've got that going. We haven't been too controversial. Top man, Mikey. Cheers. Been an absolute pleasure. Nice one, Jim. Thanks for that. So that was Floodlight Focus, focusing on Chelsea. And if you want to be part of Floodlight Focus here on Football Social Daily, all you need to do is send us a message on our social media. doesn't matter whether you're a YouTuber, blogger, podcast host, whatever you might be, get in touch with us. It's at the Sports Social on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram at Sports Social Official and just search us on Facebook for the Sports Social uh, to get us on there. But that's it for today's podcast. Thanks very much, Marley. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much, Steve. Thanks, lads. I hope you're not too downbeat after this podcast. (laughs) And have a great weekend. We'll speak to you tomorrow, of course, on Football Social Daily. The Premier League preview podcast will be out. And, of course, on Sunday, a rundown of all the weekend's action. Make sure you hit subscribe, and that way you won't miss it. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Facebook. Search Sport Social. 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.